this is the car dealer podcast driven by car gurus. You want the best return from your advertising budget and car gurus piston heads are focused on the same goal. With car gurus piston heads you have access to millions of monthly shoppers across both sites who can turbocharge your digital forecourt. Connect with in-market high quality buyers today. For more information, visit dealerpackages.cargurus.co.uk and schedule a demo with their team. For a limited time only, get 10% reduction off your new subscription when you tell them that we sent you. That's dealerpackages.cargurus.co.uk. Hello, this is the Car Dealer podcast created by the team at Car Dealer magazine. If you've never heard of Car Dealer before, we bring you the latest news and updates from the automotive industry seven days a week. We also publish a monthly magazine online that you can read for free on our website. To find all this, simply visit cardealermagazine.co.uk. If you enjoy listening to us today and you're doing so on iTunes, we'd love you to rate and review us. So welcome to episode 11 of the podcast and welcome back if you are joining us again. Editor-in-chief of Car Dealer, James Baggett, is here on the show with me once again. And our guest today is director of Swansway, Peter Smythe, which I almost pronounced incorrectly. Not very good start to things. (laughs) Uh, Welcome to the show, Peter. What has been keeping you busy this week? Uh, We've had a a, a, a very busy week. Oh, it's always uh, a busy week come uh, come the month end, uh, getting the uh, requisite number of registrations for our um, our manufacturers and um, getting ready for uh, March. And um, even though we are in lockdown, I'm looking forward to March. Oh, good. Peter, can, can I ask Peter a quick question on that front? Well, mm-hmm. we've got March just around the corner and we've written a few things, haven't we? And I'm not wanting to put you on, on the spot here, but we've written a few things about manufacturers and, and how they've looked after their dealers. Have you heard, and not wanting to name any names, but have you heard anything about promises of bonuses for the quarter? Now you know you're going to be locked down for, for March. Yeah, I mean, some, uh, I, pretty well, we've, the, the manufacturers that we deal with have, uh, have, have, have been, I think, uh, very, very fair, some more fair than others. Um, but I believe that the OEMs um, do want some form of march to happen. Now, that might not be the barnstorming um, numbers that they usually end up with march, but I think they do want some sort of march to happen. And I think there's also a group of people in the trade who think, well, we're just going to ignore march. And when we can open up in April, April's going to be the new March, but um, I don't actually share that view. I think that there is still good business to be done in March. What do you think then percentage-wise is possible in, in March with, with dealers being closed? I mean, you've, you've had two months of trading that way, haven't you? So Yeah, um, I think that 70% of the original objective would be a very good result. Yeah, that would be. I think a lot of people would be very happy with that. Yeah. Well, you, look, you, you aim for the sky, you hit the ceiling, you aim for the ceiling, you fall flat on your face, as a, a football <laughs> manager once said. Um, and, uh, you know, I think the thing that we do, we don't mention lockdown. Um, we, we're not shackled by it. Um, and we're just, it's a case of, look, trading's changed, but we don't mention the L word. Yeah, I think it's, it's a mindset thing, isn't it, I suppose? Yeah, yeah. very much so. That used to right. be one of our rules on the early podcast, was we weren't allowed to mention the lockdown, but 
Well, that went out the window, yeah, didn't it? pretty quickly. <laughs> five minutes. Uh, what's been keeping you busy this week then, James, on Car Dealer? Um, without well, mentioning stories. Without mentioning stories. Um, oh, well, um, to be honest with you, I've been doing a lot of work on used car awards for 2021. So off the back of the government's um, announcement, which we all watched on the, on Monday from behind the sofa, um, it looks like we might be able to put on our event physically in November. We have got everything crossed that this is going to happen. Um, Peter knows that this year we did a digital event because his dad won our uh, Lifetime lifetime Achievement Award. Congratulations. Yeah, he just wanted to say thank you very much for that. He was absolutely mm -hmm. delighted. It was very, very well deserved. But we would have loved to have been able to give it to, to him at, at, the actual at the actual physical event. But sadly, we couldn't do that because of, because of COVID. But we think we might be able to do it. And um, I've been in negotiations with the venue um, this week, uh, which is the brewery in London. We had a lo long chat with them. And basically, we've said, look, if we, can't, if we can't put this event on as normal and we have to do it with social distancing, then it won't really work. It's, a, it's an event where people get together and say hello to people on different tables and enjoy catching up with people in the bar. And we know that's as much as a part of the used car awards as the awards themselves. So they've agreed to that. They've said to us, look, if we can't put it on that way, we'll let you roll it on to 2022, which was my biggest biggest worry um, but I'm very hopeful now um, I think a lot of people are a lot happier and I've just been reading some news about some more more events that are going to be put on this summer like Creamfields, Boom, Boomtown, mm. Red, Redden and Leeds you know if, if you can get that amount of people together um, it, then, then hopefully we'll be able to get 500 people together in the brewery in London in November. Fingers crossed. <laughs> That'll be good. Um, so um, if I explain a little bit for, no, for people who haven't listened before, how this all works, uh, Peter's job today is to be our guest judge. And he is going to decide out of James and I, who has chosen the best stories of the week. We have both chosen five stories each, our five top stories of the week. You're shaking your head like... I've got, I've got eight. <laughs> oh, have you? I, we were really strict with the numbers last week, so I stuck to five. Even oh, though there was a lot five. of good stories this week. Um and so at the end, Peter is then going to have the final say on who chose the best, but he's also going to tell us if he thinks we missed anything. Um, and the winner should be decided based on who has the best overall stories. Um, and if you disagree with what... Is that a new say, again? No, that was in there last week. You just oh, don't listen good. to the rules. Yeah. <laughs> um, if you disagree with what any of us say, please let us know by tweeting at Mag with what you think should have been included. Um, and importantly, last week I won. Um, but James is still winning 5-3. But that does mean that I get to start this week. Go for it. Okay, so my first story, which you sort of alluded to already, is the fact that car dealers won't be allowed to open until at least April 12th. Uh, but I've sort of rolled this all into one because today the SMMT came out and said that ideally they should open a bit earlier than that. Well, we know they've been fighting for this for quite mm. some time, haven't we? I mean, they apparently, from what I've heard, they, they, they went to the government in January and said look, dealers really need to open as soon as possible. And I think the government went, hang on a minute, you, have you seen what's going on outside? There's 60,000 infections and the hospitals are full. Leave us alone. And I, so I think the SMT since then have been a little bit nervous about shouting too loudly. Um, I don't think we've done enough as an industry, if I'm honest, to shout about how safe and secure dealerships actually are. Um, 
But it's, and I think that April 12th date was a little bit of a shock. I think a lot of us were expecting that we were going to be open a lot sooner than that. Um, I mean, one, one dealer boss I spoke to thought that we were going to have two weeks of, two weeks of March open fully. Um, that clearly came as a bit of a shock to him when he, when, he, when he found that it was actually four weeks later. It's, um, it's difficult, I think, though, because we keep being told that it's safe outside, but we're not even allowed to open forecourts doesn't really seem well, to... Well, that's, that's the problem, isn't it? I mean, it's like the, how a dealership cannot open a forecourt and do all of the business that they do inside, especially when the weather's nice, it's just, uh, I mean, it baffles me, absolutely baffles me, especially when you go to a local corner shop or Tesco's, and as I've mentioned and moaned about many times before, and everybody's <laughs> right up in your grill and uh, won't give you any social distancing whatsoever. Peter, you, did you find that announcement frustrating? Yes, a little. I guess we've kind of got used to the uh, the new norm, but undoubtedly there are people who want to uh, buy cars. There are certain demographics. Uh, I think of our Honda business where the the Jazz um, used to come in a manual and automatic. It now only comes in an automatic. It's a new Jazz, and a lot of the manual drivers are saying, yeah, I, I'd, I'm very interested in the new Jazz, but I do need to try an automatic. And this might be somebody who's been driving a manual for 50 years um, so um it, it's frustrating from uh, from from that perspective undoubtedly and i think um some of the oems earlier on in february were thinking that they were thinking of a date around about march the 8th um so yes it's uh, it's disappointing but we'll just uh, we'll just trudge on the good thing is at least there's light at the end of the tunnel at least mm -hmm. we've got a date at which we know we can get ready and um I'm um, making sure now that um, our showrooms are fit for visitors, um, both from um, from a safety perspective, but also just to make sure that our uh, our, our housekeeping's on point as well. Did you not think though that that dealerships should have opened? a little bit sooner than other retail i mean the fact that dealerships have been lumped in with hairdressers i mean that is not exactly the same sort of business is it you know one person's right up in your face cutting your hair and the other one's handing you some keys socially distanced it's yeah, not the same business is it? Uh, it, it it's not the same business and if i look at the size of the showrooms that we have it is um it isn't difficult now people are used to social distancing to uh to keep the space. I mean, one of the best things to do is probably to take the vast majority of the cars out of the showroom, but at least then you can have a face-to-face -face conversation with the, the customer. I think the test drive issue, um, and I know that um, you guys have said it is technically legally right to do one. I, our stance has been, look, let's get to April the, the 12th and then figure it out from there because we've come this far. That's the way we see it. Yeah, it's um, it's a the the test drive one is an interesting point, and um, shall we move on to that? Shall I use that as my next story? Is it a well, nice takeaway? You use whatever you want to use. Well, let's go for that because the test drive thing is something that we should really be. Yeah, that's on my list as well. I mean, it's we've 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 written many many uh, words about the the test drive saga, and I mean this week it finally came back from from logistics um, that they think. No, they, 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 
will happily defend any dealer that does get stopped off the back of this. They said that they um, had confirmation from trading standards who took advice from the Office of Product Safety and Standards, which is a government department, um, which basically said, if a customer has placed a deposit first online, remotely, uh, over, the, over the phone or, or on the website, um, they can then come in for a test drive. Um, that, I say come in, they can come to the dealership and that car can be handed over off the premises because the dealership must remain closed. Or that dealer can take that vehicle to that customer's home to have a test drive. Um, the, the weird thing here is it's still a distant sale. So they still get the 14 days, well, still a 14 day test drive, isn't it? Effectively, they can still hand it back. Um, but it does sort of open up a little bit more options for dealers because before it was a case of, and we were saying, um, no, don't do it. Um, whereas now logistics are arguing um, that, that it is something that, that, that dealers can do using those, using those arguments. Now, I sort of agree with Peter on this front. Is it the right thing to do? Is it morally the right thing to be doing to entice people out? Does it sort of give the wrong message out? I would probably say yes. I mean, April 12 isn't that far away. Um, and is it worth pushing the rules? Because it is pushing the rules, isn't it? Yeah, yeah it's all day to the rules. So Peter, across your business, you must have people who are desperate to take a test drive and it must be quite a difficult decision to, to, it, to have it, it taken is, that. It stuff. surprised me how many people, uh, particularly with used cars, are prepared to buy a used car without taking a test drive because that's always been a fundamental part of our sales process. And indeed, when we get back to normality, whatever normality is, um, it will be a fundamental part of the sales process. Um, it's, it's more difficult in, in a franchise like Jaguar or, or Honda and I mentioned the, uh, the issue with the, the Honda Jazz just being a CVT variant rather than a manual variant. But then again, I sort of like think to myself, the vast majority of Hondas, and this isn't being disrespectful, um, the vast majority of the demographic are a little bit older, shall we say. Mm. Um, and I wouldn't really want to feel responsible for enticing people of that age out when they've, they've basically... Um, they've had a horrendous year where they've had to self-isolate. I, I think about my parents who, who are obviously octogenarians and um, it's, uh, it's horrendous for them. Um, and uh, I wouldn't want to um, entice them out and then ride at the, the last minute them fall foul of, of COVID. Um, I think most of those customers now probably have had at least one injection, what part one of the vaccination? Well, yeah, they're all out partying now, aren't they? They've all had the uh, they've all had the jab. They could go and do what they want. Yeah, I thought I thought that they had to wait until they got part two, but uh, just yeah. to be extra specially safe. But yeah. uh, that is the yeah, advice, they, um, James. Um, <laughs> yeah, I don't listen to me. <laughs> Oh dear. Well, it'd be yes, um, it's interesting to see that test drive, and nice to see that the uh, that there is some advice out there for those dealers that, that that might want to do it. But I think if I was sat sat in your in your seat there, Peter, I I, I would be taking the same stance personally. Yeah. Hmm. Over to you, Rebecca. Um, my next story um was the sort of non-story. I've got a couple of non-stories on my list, but the non-story that Mitsubishi like non-stories. How dare you? Well. I mean, this is a story that I wrote and then someone rewrote the next day with the updated information, but that Mitsubishi... story, <laughs> Yeah, Mitsubishi were talking about a U-turn, or they're still talking about a U-turn in Europe, 
but Mitsubishi UK are saying no we won't be bringing any new cars into the UK regardless um that wasn't how they suddenly just kind of like came out all of a sudden no we're definitely not doing there was this glimmer of hope for all this hundred dealers in the in in the UK that they might happen they read the financial times story and then Mitsubishi in the UK went no was it a glimmer of hope though I just thought if I was one of those Mitsubishi dealers and you've you've been going through COVID and then for the last six months, whatever it is, you've then had to go, oh, my one franchise I've been with for the last 20 years, I've got to try and sort something else out during social distancing. And then they go, oh, actually, no, we might not do it. I'd be like, really? Yeah. 11th hour, really? You're not going to do it? Well, we know a lot of them have already ditched it. Yeah. I mean, there's a lot of them have already gone to and and found found another franchise. I mean, MG has snapped up a few. Isuzu have picked up a few. I mean, if you were if you were in a Mitsubishi dealer now, and you were the only, if that was your only brand, as soon as you read that announcement last July, you would have been on the phone. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I mean, especially you know, there's some of them are very, very good family-run businesses that do incredible, incredible business off the back of it. There, there'll be franchises out there. There'll be manufacturers who are desperate to have them as franchisees. Mm-hmm. Peter, and- I mean, what did you think when you saw that Mitsubishi news? I mean, did last year were you surprised? I was surprised, and I'll tell you why I was surprised. Um, we as a company were approached less than less than three years ago by, by Mitsubishi, who asked us, um, would we like to get on board with their brand? And they were talking about the future and their volume aspirations and that we'd have to build a new site if we wanted to do it and invest. You, look, you can't build you can't build a site for less than two million quid, no, no matter how small small it is. And then if we'd have done that, and I said to my brothers, we'd now be left absolutely high and dry, mm. which I thought was, well, it, it wasn't the gentlemanly thing, was it? Um, no, because there must have been some risk then, surely. Yeah, well, we, we took the decision that it, uh, it wasn't for us, but we could easily have taken the decision that it was for us. Um, and undoubtedly, the dealer, well, it would have been us if we'd have said yes, would have been left holding the baby, so to speak. Um, and then you've got to then you've then got a property solution that you've got to find a another franchise uh, for. Um, you're absolutely right. Um, some of these um, people with the uh, the Mitsubishi franchise, and there tends to be a lot of owner drivers. I think fall into that category. Um, they are, they have to be exceptional at what they do because they've got to be good used car dealers. They've got to absolutely love the customers to death because let's face it, they don't get that many. Mm-hmm. Um, and um, they've got to be what I would call probably a little bit of the, the old fashioned um, motor car uh, retailer. Um, I, you know, it's going to be difficult for some because, yeah, there's only so many MG outlets or Isuzu or um, Sanyong outlets, but you've then got other franchises that are actively looking to diverse themselves of, uh, of dealers as well. So there's going to be quite a few in the mix. It's going to be an interesting time. Mm. Yeah, definitely going to be um, going to be interesting when we do our list again next year mm. um, of, of how many how many outlets each each manufacturer's got because I'm pretty sure it's going to shrink quite a bit over the next year. Mm. I don't disagree. Is it my go now? Yes. Excellent news. I'm going to go with uh, a subject very close to Peter's heart, and it is kazoo. Um, and uh, <laughs> and uh, everybody's heart. Yeah, it is. Of course. 
Um, uh, so this week, lots of kazoo news. Uh, I wrote many, many, many more words about it. Um, it started last Friday. I'm pretty sure we touched on some of it on last week's podcast. Um, carried on on Saturday. Um, and then on Sunday, there was reports in, uh, in the Times that the founder, Alex Chesterman, um, is reported to have cashed out hundred million in shares uh, already uh, ahead of the online used car dealers rumoured IPO. Um, they are talking about doing a flotation um, via, uh, via, via New York um, and uh, an evaluation was, was, was mooted of five billion. I can't quite understand this one. Um, I don't quite understand why you would sell out a hundred million pounds worth of shares ahead of your company being worth five billion i mean he's at, the, at this moment in time the company has got a valuation of two billion uh, they've raised loads and loads of money from, from from investors and as part of that 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 fundraising in september apparently alex chestman sold 100 million pounds worth of, of his shares it doesn't quite make sense does it i mean i'm not really sure why you would do that i mean if you are if you are a business leader like Alex Chesterman, who's made billions, billions, made millions from Zoopla and Love Film, you'd think you, you would make the decision that hanging on to your shares for a little while longer was probably worth it, especially if you're going to float. What do you reckon, Peter? Would you have hold on? Would you have held on to your shares if you were Alex Chesterman? Not knowing his personal circumstances. I don't know his per personal circumstances. Listen, if he's been able to get £100 million out of that business, and I don't know whether he has, I don't know whether the, the rumours are not, um, well, he's got absolutely no risk in there now, has he? None whatsoever. Um, I mean, to me, that would send out the message that he doesn't believe in the model. Um, but I've been having to think about the kazoo thing. I mean, what, what I would say is this. If he was to raise £5 billion pounds, and... What are we on today? We're on the 26th of February. And on the 26th of February, Lookers have a market cap of 162 million. Marshalls have a market cap of 112 million. And Pendragon have a market cap of 200 million. So if you add all those up together, you get a shade under 500 million market cap. cap. Uh, when somebody goes to usually buy a PLC, they tend to end up paying about double what the share price was at the beginning. So basically, he could buy Lucas, Marshalls and Pendragon for a billion pounds and still have four billion left. Um, so maybe that's his end game. Maybe that, that's, but if that is his end game, then he, we need to be very, very aware of him. Um, I don't think, I think we'd be foolish to dismiss somebody who with a website has been able to raise 500 million pounds. I mean, it's incredible, isn't it? Really? Yeah. I mean, that is an. I mean, what he has managed to achieve in such a short space of time, and mm. I think the reason that he that, that we do end up talking about him all the time is because everybody's staggered by what he's done. Um, yeah. And and also this week there was there was more news on the kazoo front, wasn't there? So this came out on the Sunday. Then then on the Monday. Um, they, they said that they're expanded into Europe. As part of that, they're going to be moving their head office into Germany. They've bought um, a, uh, a business in, in Germany called Cluno, um, which, which is, is a, another uh, one of these subscription businesses. 
um, very similar to, to Drover. It was founded in 2017, undisclosed sum that they've, they've paid for this. Um, but they, they're saying as part of it, they're going to push the Kazoo brand um, into, into Europe. I mean, it sort of starts to make a little bit more sense, doesn't it, when you see that, that, that this, this valuation. They've obviously been shouting about that to, to the investors that they are pushing it into Europe. Um, yeah, I don't disagree with you. And uh, look, maybe Alex Chesterman is obviously thinking on a global scale. And I mean, uh, we kind of, I'm thinking probably more per, per, per locally. Um, you can cut that bit out. Um, <laughs> About just being in the U in the in the UK and saying that it can't possibly work. Um, I've got to say though, these car sharing schemes. Um, I think it was Daimler spent millions upon millions and millions of euros on the car sharing scheme and then decided to pull out um, because you know the utilisation of the vehicles is around about thirty percent, whereas a rental company. And they're very, very good at what they do, you know, the Hertz and the uh, and, 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 and the like. They get a utilisation of approaching 80%. Um, so, again, he's buying another loss-making business. Um, and if you look at Kazoo, he's got 4,000 cars on his website. He's sold 20,000 cars in the last 15 months. So he's got a stock turn of four times. Um, he's going to have a huge aging problem if he's got a stock turn of four times. And I don't know about other people in the motor trade, but I really struggle to make any money out of a car that I've had longer, in, longer than 60 days in stock. Usually I'm facing down the barrel of a loss because the market is so transparent. Um, so surely, Peter, a good comparison for, for Kazoo in the UK would be Motorpoint. Correct. A, a listed a listed car supermarket business. Yeah. We've got car supermarkets. Okay, they call them customer handover centers and don't sell from them, apparently. But it's a very similar situation. They've got similar stock levels. Yep. The, the last announcement I saw from Motorpoint, they'd said they'd sold a huge proportion of their cars online. I mean, obviously, yep. this was on and off during lockdown last year, but was... They, and also to... have been doing it for a while. Yeah. Yeah. So, yeah. but how much are they worth? Two hundred and fifty-two million, apparently. That's There's their market cap. <laughs> <laughs> I, I looked it up before we uh, we had the podcast, um, and they turned their their stock ten times, which ten is great. Times. Ten times, not four times, ten times. Um, so, uh, and it this business used cars is all about stock turn. Mm. You know, you don't get emotional about, well, why haven't I sold that car? It's a beautiful car. It's a case of how long has it been here? We need to see the back of it and get your money back in. And it's all about the most profitable used car businesses have great stock turn. And that's that rule has never changed. It'll be interesting to see what um, Carsam do because. Well, he's got very... about a thousand cars. Mm. On his on his website, I think from uh, the from from, from memory. So you know everything. Pardon? You know all the figures. Um, I don't know. I'm just dropping all the figures, isn't it? I'm just. It's a. Yeah, I. Um, I'm quite good at, at keeping other things in my head. But if you ask my girlfriend, she'll tell me I forget absolutely everything. <laughs> um, but I think they were saying that they'd sold sort of like a thousand cars a month, twelve times stock turn. Mm. There you go. But they. 
you know, Peter Waddell and his team, um, they're, they're motor dealers who know what they're doing. Mm. Yeah, you definitely wouldn't bet against them, would you? No, but then what's the difference between Kazam and Kazoo? Mm. And I'm sure Mr Waddell doesn't think he's worth £5 billion. Pounds. Well, you don't well, know. Money, but <laughs> he, I don't... Might be, he, might, he might be hoping he is. Well, yeah. he might. He might be. Yeah. I wish I was, but I know that I'm not. It would be yeah. interesting to see what happens with that business. And, um, mm. and I mean, the Kazoo one certainly certainly gets some traffic to our website. So we'll, uh, we'll let them continue to do what they do. <laughs> <laughs> oh, listen, he's definitely been a disruptor from that perspective. And I've got to say, um, I watch avidly what he's doing. Um, and it's caused us to, well, two things. COVID has caused us to up our game digitally. And in fairness to Mr. Chesterman, he's also caused us to up our game as well. I describe him as the um, as as our Donald Trump, not for what not for what he says, but for the uh, for, for the way that he generates interest around a story that he's created. <laughs> Absolutely, yeah. We'll be right back. The Car Dealer Podcast is driven by Cargurus. You want the best return from your advertising budgets, and Cargurus Piston Heads are focused on the same goal. With them, you have access to millions of monthly shoppers across both sites who can turbocharge your digital forecourts. Connect with in-market, high-quality buyers today. For more information, visit dealerpackages.cargurus.co.uk and schedule a demo with their team. For a limited time only, you can get 10% reduction on your new subscription when you tell them that we sent you. That's dealerpackages.cargurus.co.uk. Now, let's get back to the quiz. Right, let's leave Kazoo. Okay. Back to you, Rebecca. Um, this is actually my last story already. What? We've covered... Oh, actually, is it? Yeah. No. I've done... I think you've done three, Rebecca. Well, yeah, yeah I've had um, April 12th. I had Mitsubishi, yeah. but then I yeah. also had Kazoo. And then oh, I also right. had Test Drives. Um, so well, my... Well, don't worry. I can fill in the gaps for you. Yeah, you've got enough stories to keep going. Um, my last story is about Peugeot changing its logo. Oh. oh! If no one's seen this yet, I didn't. I didn't even click this because when I saw it yesterday, I said it looks like they've changed to being an Italian brand or like a a football logo. And I saw or it was proton, on your LinkedIn. Yeah, on your LinkedIn, everyone was saying it's just a Proton logo, and now I can't unsee that. Oh. But. Um, Peter, you are actually a Peugeot dealer, so I'd love well, to know what you think I'm of I'm sure Peter's, Peter's going to have to be careful with what he says here. Yeah. Isn't he? the, uh, the, when I saw this happen, I just I could just imagine all of the dealers going, oh, God. Uh, <laughs> so, oh, I'm going to have to spend even more money on more signs. I'm going to have to change all of my letterheads. I'm going to have to change every teacup that's got the logo on. I mean, you can just imagine... When when these when these de- when these manufacturers come up with new logos, I just see every dealer just putting their head in their hands and crying. <laughs> Peter, I'm sure that's not you. Um, no, it is. <laughs> um, I I uh, I was listening to the uh, the, um, the 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 broadcast uh, yesterday, and obviously they came up with the uh, the new logo, and I got a text from the general manager of our Peugeot dealership and said. Does that mean I have to upgrade again with one of those pulled faces that you get um, from uh, from his emoji? Um, uh, we've just recently, um, as most Peugeot dealerships have done, undergone a fairly significant and expensive upgrade. Um, 
most of the OEMs seem to be changing the logos at the moment because I think they say that it looks better digitally. That's exactly what they say, yeah. Um, I know that Volkswagen have done it, and I've got to say, I, I think that it has been an improvement, but it's been very subtle um, because there's, there's still, of course, the iconic VW, and why would you change that? Um, got to ask myself the question, but from a selfish perspective, is it going to make us sell more cars? Well, and that's what people said on, on my LinkedIn. They said, this, you're going to, we're, great, all these dealers are now going to have to spend all this money and they're not going to sell one extra car off the back of it. Mm. It, mu it, it must be so painful when these sorts of things happen. And the, but I suppose that's part and parcel of having a franchise, is it? Uh, it is part and parcel of having the franchise. Um, it, um, it, these, these things are, uh, are changing all the time. I think, obviously, the Stellantis group want to put their mark all over the, uh, the, the, the business. One thing's for sure, it, it's cost Stellantis an awful lot more than what it's going to cost me on one site. Um, but is it really going to sell more cars? I don't know. They must be doing it for some reason, but... Um, it's, did, you, uh, did you see it's the mock-up of the new... of the of, of the dealership with it on? Um, I actually thought it looked quite smart, and that mm. nice dark blue, and... I mean, it does look... It looks pretty I cool. Just, I really liked the old Peugeot logo. I thought it was quite iconic. Well, it's always been this kind of similar stance, hasn't it? And now it's very different. It has. I mean, it's always it, it's it, the, the lion has morphed, hasn't it? And now it's uh, it's uh, it's it's a lion's head. But um, you, you're right. I mean, I suppose as a retailer, I should rejoice in that news because there's a firm belief that the OEM still believe that there has to be a destination for the customer to come and pick mm -hmm. their car up at. So from one perspective, I'm pleased about that. Um, but um, it's part, like you said, James. It's part and parcel of the of the business uh, that we're in. Um, I, I think that the the product range coming out of Peugeot at this moment in time is absolutely superb, and it it staggers me why we don't get um, a, a younger customer coming through our showroom doors. And maybe with this upgrade, that might change, and it might help. So, you know, I, I will just, we will just embrace it and get on with it. And um, I, my father always says to me, look, you get dealt a hand, you make the best hand you've got and you, uh, you, you just take the cars that you're given. Where do you buy all the stuff from? Who, who, who's making all of the money on these redesigns? I mean, do you have to buy the, buy the signs and the, and the furniture from the it, it all has It all has to come through the OEM. Uh, they will have recommended and, and no doubt, look, it's a franchise and, um, I am quite sure that Subway, at Subway, you've got to buy your serviettes from Subway themselves. And I'm sure the Subway serviettes are a lot dearer than what you could probably buy locally. Yeah. That's just part and parcel of the game we're in. Yeah, interesting. I mean, I have bought uh, furniture uh, from a particular um, uh, OEM, which will remain nameless, and I've looked on the bottom and it's come from Ikea. Oh, really? <laughs> That's brilliant. Jaguar Land Rover. No, it's not Jaguar Land Rover. It is not Jaguar Land Rover. Definitely not. I'm definitely going to Cynic in me does think that when times are hard, manufacturers like to revamp their showrooms and make dealers bump their numbers up a bit. But very clever if they're getting stuff from IKEA. Mm. Right. Yeah, Come very on. clever. Yeah. Very um, good. 
Okay. Shall I go with... So are you run out of stories now? Yeah. Okay. Well, I've got a couple um, that I will rattle through quickly. Um, first one uh, was one story I absolutely loved this week, which was um, car dealer group, Chorley. Uh, Chorley Group um, that run Nissan, Kia, Hyundai and MG dealerships um, saying that they're going to give all of their staff the day off on Monday, June the 21st, which is the day that the uh, restrictions are going to lift, um, uh, um, allegedly, says Boris, um, and everybody's going to get incredibly drunk um, and not going to want to come into work. So they're basically giving everybody a bank holiday Monday, um, which I thought was really nice, to be honest with you. They say the mental strain it's caused so many can't go unnoticed. Um, and in a statement on their LinkedIn page, they said they're going to celebrate the start of summer 2021 on that day. Um, Makes up for Christmas. Well, yeah, I suppose it does. Did you see that story, Peter? I did, yeah. And I have met Pauline, who, uh, who runs uh, Charlie Group. And they've always been just that little bit different. But no, hats off to her. Um, I like her style. I like that one. But if anybody in Swan's Way asks, no, we're being more. <laughs> <laughs> no chance. Just come yeah. into work. Um, two two others, um, other quick stories. Um, there was um, a couple of financial results released this week. First one, uh, which I found particularly interesting, was the car manufacturer Aston Martin. Uh, last year saw its sales slump 32%, mm. despite the introduction of the DBX which is their, um, their new SUV. Uh, they sold retail sales, 4,150 units last year, down from just over 6,000 the year before. Um, but the company's planning um, a, a big increase. They're targeting 10,000 units a year, revenue of 2 billion and EBITDA profit of 500 million by 2024. Remember, they've got a new executive chairman, Lawrence Stroll, um, who is running that business alongside Tobias Mowers, I think it's Mowers, uh, chief executive, former Mercedes AMG boss, um, who's come in to, to help help that business out. Interestingly, um, their, their plan called Project Horizon um, includes on a number of, number of um, spending projects uh, to help revitalize its front engine sports car range, which I'm sure a lot of the fans of the brand are going to be interested in seeing. Expanding its SUV portfolio further, they said in their announcement, um, and launching a new mid-engine range of cars. So, that's pretty exciting news for Aston Martin fans. I, I love Aston Martin. I think it's an amazing brand. Um, been dealt an absolute terrible hand for so many years, which I feel it's been very unfair. I think over the last couple of years, it was pushed and pushed and pushed, wasn't it? Following or, or up to the up to the flotation, following that flotation. Um, Andy Palmer's obviously fallen on his sword and, and, and left that left that business now. Um, so will these guys manage to sort it out? It's another I, another. I, I, hope, I hope they do because, like you, I think it's a fantastic brand. I mean, it's synonymous with um, with the Bond character, um, and um, it's um, they do actually make some very very attractive looking cars. Um, I, I haven't had any experience of the franchise. Um, I think the. What you've got to do with those premium, premium franchises, it's really all about residual value. And, and they do suffer a little bit there, don't they? They tend to a little. Um, yeah. Uh, and I think if you can somehow um, sort that out, that to me is always the trick to having a, um, a great super brand. 
you've only got to look at Ferrari, haven't you? Yeah. Um, you've you've only got to look at Porsche with the residual value. Um, I, I, but I hope they can do that because they're ostensibly a, a British brand, and um, I think the uh, it, there's there's an awful lot of history. But you're absolutely right; they've had a bit of a roller coaster ride over the last twenty years. And I think since their um, think since their flotation, I quite like the fact that they have to give the same sorts of same sort of information as any other publicly listed company. So we get much more insight on on this car manufacturer than we do on others, because they've got investors and they have to tell them what they're up to. Um, quite like that. Hmm. I read your um, story this morning about well your feature about the cars that you should have invested in. Yeah, and actually thought it was interesting. There was a couple of Aston Martins in there and. I sort of thought they were falling in value. Yeah, I think some are, but I mean, the the ones mentioned in that article were quite are quite special. Quite mm. special. Um, I think but it was good to see. I thought. Yeah, nice. Um, and can I just lastly? I'm sorry, I'm not trying to steal um, all the stories, but uh, I just lastly want to just talk about Inchcape. Um, mm. I thought this was quite an interesting one. Another set of. Um, set of results so Inchcape as we know are actually more of a distribution business now global company um, they do distribution uh, in Asia Australasia Europe America and Africa um, they um, reported profit before tax and exceptional items of 129 million but when they booked uh, a 257 million pound exceptional charge majority against goodwill against its business some of its businesses and a loss in the value of its site uh, they swung to a loss before tax of 128 million. Now that's compared to a profit before tax of 402 million the previous year. Not a great year for Inchcape. They um, they spent last year shedding a few car dealership businesses, didn't they? We saw Virtue snap up um, a couple of the BMW sites, a couple of Cooper BMW sites. Um, Hendy bought one of the Jaguar Land Rover um, businesses down down on the south coast, and I think they're probably heading more in that way. They sort of allude to it in this um, in this announcement on their on their final results. What what do you think on 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 this this Peter? Um, what do you think of, of Inchcape, and what, where do you think they're going to they're going to end up? It's an it's an interesting one, isn't it? Um, funnily enough, I snapped up one of their businesses as well, a Volkswagen dealership in in Oldham, Lancashire. Um, when was that? In in uh, last year in Oldham, Volkswagen oh. in uh, um, Volkswagen in Oldham. Um, Inchcape have always been good at distribution. I can remember that they acquired, and I guess it must have been in the late seventies, early eighties. They acquired the concession airship for Toyota. Um, off, a, off a, a business called Pride and Clark in London, who were the original uh, concessionaires. So they were responsible for the distribution of uh, all Toyotas up until, um, I don't know, it must have been uh, sometime in the 90s when Toyota GB took over. Um, it's um, uh, Inchcape are a great company. Um, they might have just lost their way a little bit. Um, on the on the retail side, and probably the margins in distribution are a lot better than the margins in in in, in retail. Um, the word is out on the street that they've shed the businesses that they're going to shed, and they're going to move forward, and they're they're interested in uh, in other franchises. Uh, I don't know is the answer to the question. Uh, I would imagine if you get James Brealey on this um, 
on this show, he'll uh, he'll tell you all. Then again, it, it's very difficult uh, for uh, the, uh, the 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 people who run the PLCs because they've got to play a very fine line because they've got shareholders to and share and, and shares to uh, to look after. Somebody like me who works for a privately owned business, I can. Uh, I can go out and say the most ridiculous things, really, and it, it really doesn't matter. Um, uh, but um, it's uh, it's an interesting one. I still think that Inchcape is a great company, and they've still got some fantastic franchises. Um, and I'm sure Mr. Breeley will do a job of, of turning it around. They've been reclassified, though, haven't they, on the London Stock Exchange, moving it from speciality retail to yeah. a business support services classification. Mm. Well, that was quite an interesting one. It show, purely shows how much money they're bringing in from the distribution side of their side of their business. Yeah, I, don't, I think it's quite difficult to work out what they actually make or indeed lose on the on the motor retail side because you know everything's mixed in with all the other figures. Yeah, yeah, interesting one. We'll have to see uh, see what happens see what happens there. So, um, yeah, um, that's it from me, Rebecca. I'm sorry I stole some. No, that's fine. Um, I'm pretty sure I know how the chips are going to fall this week. But Peter, what do you think? Do you think we missed anything to start with? No, I don't think you. Uh, I don't think. I don't think you missed anything. Um, I think um, uh, James might have picked it this week. Yes, <laughs> with eight stories. <laughs> yeah, yeah, just through sheer volume, really, yeah. more than anything, more, more than uh, more quantity, than, more not than, quality. Yeah, and I think I didn't help you, Rebecca, in uh, talking about the test drives before you brought it up as well. Oh, no, don't so worry. I must apologise for that. Do not apologise. Um, no, I will, I will award it to Mr Baggett this week. Oh, thank I you, Peter. Peter, out of the stories that we talked about this, this, um, this week, which one was the one that was most important to you, do you think? Which one, do you, which one were you most, in, most interested in? I think I've got to say, it's got to be the kazoo one, hasn't it? Um, <laughs> Purely and simply because I don't think this is a man that should be uh, disregarded. Um, I don't believe in his current business model, but I don't know his end game. So that's going to be interesting. Yeah, it plays out. Yeah, I'm fascinated to watch. Watch. Oh, it's fascinating. Yeah, yeah. It's it's, it's fascinating. It's for sure as hell. He's got us all guessing. <laughs> yeah, not boring, is it? Not no, boring. not boring. <laughs> well, thank you, Peter. I'm yeah, glad I've. I've taken back a win this week. Thank you very much. <laughs> Thank you. Sorry about that, Rebecca. No, don't worry. It's been lovely to have you on the show and hear what you think about all our stories. James is yeah. absolutely losing the plot now, which is fine. <laughs> <laughs> um, thank you to everyone for listening as well. Uh, we hope you've enjoyed what you've heard. Please let us know on social media or on email if you have enjoyed listening to it and make sure you subscribe, rate and review us if you do like what you've heard too. All of the stories we've mentioned today, I'm going to link in the show notes. And if you'd like to find out more, head over to the Cardinal Magazine website and go to the podcast section where there will be a story about this podcast, what we've said, and a list of every single story we've mentioned. Until next time, goodbye.